0: from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, And they shall be as frontlands between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning, morning we have a real treat. Maybe. I uh, surprised Daniel by talking again. Um, This morning, we have a real treat. Uh, We have with us Tom Schrader, who's going to be preaching for us today. Tom founded East Valley Bible Church which uh, is one of the churches that formed Redemption Church. Um, he has been a pastor for, I don't know, how long have you been a pastor? 200. Hey, a long 200 time. 200 years, I've heard. <laughs> a long uh, time. A long time. Um, it, it, we, are, we as Redemption Church, as the leadership of Redemption Church, are in debt so much to uh, the legacy that he began. Um, so much of the strong Bible teaching that we experience at Redemption Church is a result of uh, Tom's presence in this church. And so much of the culture of leadership development that we have at Redemption Church is a result of Tom's presence. We were very grateful for him to be here. So please, um, will you guys put your hands together for Tom Trager? Thank you. Thank you. This is not as easy as it was one day, those early days, two hundred years ago, when I started. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. I need a music stand with some notes. let me get it. Oh, sorry that's all right. Frank uh, obviously is not here i don 't know if he told you he wasn't going to be here over the years. I I began by substitute teaching for Larry Wright. Some of you know Larry. And Larry's uh, uh, policy was to not announce when he was not going to be there. So every time, probably for the first dozen times I taught, all I could see were a sea of sad faces. (laughs) And it feels very much like this, as a matter of fact. So so I'm glad you're here. Uh, Frank will be back next week. Uh, Frank called, I'm not sure when, when he scheduled the trip that he's on. He's teaching in Iowa. Uh, I'm from Iowa. Any of you from Iowa? There's always Iowa. Uh, Where are you from? I'm sorry? No, I heard you. I'm just sorry. It's an old (laughs) joke. It's an old joke. It works. It works every time. I'm from Davenport, which is 80 miles north of Burlington. But I'm from Iowa, idiots out wandering around And uh, I've got, I owe the world an apology. I've done it. I love Iowa. Uh, Go back every year, uh, usually for a, I was going to say a game, but usually for a loss. And uh, we love it. Frank's there teaching. When he found out he was going to be there, he uh, called and said, can you teach, and gave me the date, and I said, yes. And, and And I've learned, I don't know, in the last five or six years. To, to ask, what would you like me to teach on? Or is there anything? Or is your church at a place where there's an issue? And Frank immediately said, I would like you to teach on parenting. And I thought, okay. He said, we have so many young families. We have so many people getting married. So many people who are expecting, and, and we have like 90 kids downstairs. And and let me add to that. When I came in today, I talked with somebody who's a grandparent, and they said, I'm here taking notes. Uh, So it's a big topic. And and so just so you know, I was assigned this topic. Uh, (laughs) I didn't choose it. And as Cody's uh, very kind in his introduction and talked about Bible teaching, this is right where I would always say open your Bibles. But there's not a ton of that today. Uh, it's, it's more practical stuff. I was in the lobby, I got here early, and found some cards advertising a parenting conference with Paul David Tripp. So I don't know anything about the material. I know Paul David Tripp, and I guarantee you this will be good. This information is right out those doors. The conference is uh, coming up this March, or this month, March 27, 28. So you may want to grab those. Uh, I have learned over the years in talking about parenting that it's one of the most difficult topics to talk about because this is a body that encompasses people from all different backgrounds, all different views. Each family is different and unique. Some of you are parenting in a single-parent environment. Uh, Many are blended families. I I can't remember the stat, I think, that I saw not long ago, but something like 17% of children in the country are living with their biological mom and dad. So that old model's really being shattered. What I've realized in talking about parenting is that it starts to scratch its scabs, and it produces all sorts of guilt and fear that's associated with parenting. So none of that's my goal. My goal today is to be helpful and to be encouraging. You might be surprised that in being helpful, encouraging, this is the title that I uh, chose, for the first section of the talk, right there, <laughs> perfectly timed, right now, when we click, I, I changed it to 10 things you can do to ruin your kids. Uh, 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 this is my year of trying to be positive. And I've got almost two and a half months of it in, and I've had enough. So I'm going to take a spin here, and I want to give you 10 things you can do to ruin your kids. Now, let me give you the overarching principle that that I had in child rearing, and it was this. To raise our kids, I have two daughters, to be independent of us, but dependent upon God. So there's the motto, there's the mission statement. Independent of us, but dependent upon God. So here you go, 10 things you can do to uh, ruin your kids. Number one, attempt to live your life through them. Uh, In my life, I have a lot of regrets. I, and, and when I meet somebody, and I don't have any regrets, I'm thinking, you either are an extraordinary person or really stupid. Uh, I, I mean, I, how can you not want to do things over again? One of the regrets I have is that we just had two kids. Uh, we had Sarah, and then 18 or 19 months later, we had Haley. And we we had some decisions to make right then. And my fear was that we would have a boy. And I didn't want a boy because I was afraid I would try to make him into the guy I never was. He'd get the game-winning hit. He'd score the the buzzer-beater He'd catch the touchdown pass. I've discovered in my life, and here you go, I'm going to say in yours too, that your besetting sin is pride. And when it comes to kids, pride is that subtle kind of motive that hangs around. And I was afraid that if I had a boy, I'd ruin him through my pride, and I had it even with the girls. Uh, Sarah, uh, the end of her first grade year, took an Iowa basic skill test, and uh, I remember them taking it, I didn't think much of it. The results came about the middle of June, and I opened them up, and and I read, to my dismay, that Sarah was average. And I had to sit her down and and go, listen, I got some news for you here. Uh, You're average. Now, that comes from your mom's side of the family, okay? (laughs) But we can work our way around this. But I, I I remember Susan going, Tom, this is stupid. It doesn't make any difference. But I wanted that kid to be extraordinary. I wanted her to be kind of a cross between Margaret Thatcher and uh, Mother Teresa and Shania Twain, which is a strange combination. But, but, but here's, what I, here's what I wanted, okay? Now, I don't know if, and I may be the only person in the world like this, but this has to hit some of you. I didn't want her to be extraordinary because I wanted her to be extraordinary for her own good. I wanted her to be extraordinary so you'd look at her and say, she must have a heck of a dad. You want to mess a kid up pretty quickly? You start trying to live your life through them. Here's the second thing. Refuse to fulfill your God given roles. Guys, the best thing you can do for your kids is let them see you love their mom. Wives, one of the best things you can do for your kids is to respect your husband and let him see that. There's great security that that they would draw when they would see this. They live in a world, and and I was oblivious to this, they live in a world where many of their friends are seeing their families shattered. I had a friend who had a a kid come home one day, and and the kid was a mess. He said, "What's what's the problem? What's the deal? Can I help? And he said, are you and mom getting divorced? And he said, no, why would you think that? You know, there's nothing going on. No, but everybody's parents are getting divorced. The Bible teaches how a marriage should run. Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. When your kids see you in that role, it provides a sense of security and stability when they see you hold hands. And they see you kiss. They may go, but inside, they're going, yeah. That's my mom, that's my dad. Here's the third thing you can do to ruin your kid. Give him stuff instead of consistent love. One article I read recently, the author writes this. Despite their good intentions... Too many parents find themselves raising wanting machines who respond like Pavlov's dog to the marketing that's aimed right at them. Even getting what you want doesn't satisfy some kids. They only want more. Now a growing number of psychologists, educators, parents think it's time to stop the madness and start teaching kids what really matters. values This is not a Christian-based article at all, by the way. This is just somebody looking at common sense in the human condition. It's time to teach them what really matters, values like hard work, delayed gratification, honesty, compassion. I love this sentence. Saying no is harder when you can afford to say yes. Kids who've been given too much too soon grow up to be adults who have a difficulty coping with life disappointments. They have a distorted sense of entitlement that gets in the way of success both in the workplace and relationships. Experts say parents who overindulge their kids may actually be setting them up to be more vulnerable to future anxiety and depression. See what that says? Give them stuff instead of consistent love. They're going to fool you. Because they're going to come, and they're going to go, here's what I want. Can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have this? And what that article's saying is what your experience confirms, and that is, yeah, you give them that. It's Christmas Day. I, I watch our grandkids, and on Christmas Day, there are stacks of presents, and they just rip through those babies. They open the one and look at it, It's that one that I poured time, energy, effort, thought into. And they'll go, yeah, 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 thank you. Rip. There's no end to this. And as parents, your responsibility is to control that. They need your love more than they need stuff. This idea of, I want to give them what I never had, meaning stuff. They don't need what you never had. They need what many of you did have, which was a loving home. They'll burn through that stuff. I remember one time I was getting ready to do a talk on parenting, and Sarah was about, I don't know, five or six. And I said, do you need quality time or quantity time with me? And she said, I I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, Well, do you need quality time where we're talking and we're playing and we're hanging out, or do you need me to spend a lot of time with you? She said, Oh, okay. I need quality time and lots of it. <laughs> That's what that kid needs. And you live in that, you sense in that article, you sense the tension. The world's marketing, the kids are marketing, their peers are marketing. There's a lot of bad parenting around, and all of a sudden, that parenting feeds into this, and now you're caught in the middle. And it's hard to say no when you can say yes. But these are, I love that phrase, these are little wanting machines. Here's the fourth thing you can do to ruin your kids withhold discipline. James Dobson said the number one mistake we make as parents is thinking if we love our kids enough, we don't have to discipline them. You want to get down and dirty and practical. I'm I'm gonna give those of you that are parents, I'm gonna give you two times in the day you have to control. You have to control dinner time and you have to control bedtime. You can't have dinner where they come in and they sit down and when you dropped them off at school that morning, you said, what would you like for dinner? And they said, chicken fingers and corn. And you got chicken fingers and corn. And they sit down and they say, I don't want this. What do you mean you don't want this? I don't don't want that. Well, "Well, that was the small, I don't want it anymore. All right, well, that's fine. And then just take it away. Oh, I'm hungry. Think, oh, hungry, you're going to be at breakfast. You're going to be starving at breakfast. You know why? You didn't eat dinner. You can't say, I don't want this, and then it's chaotic time to run to every pantry to see what's available to grab gluten-free gummy bears. Okay? It can't be that time. Or bedtime. Bedtime should be the end of a very important day. The time to settle down. And you got to, you're the parent, you got to take control of that. When our kids were small, there were a lot of people who thought we were really authoritarian. Very critical of it. We had really, really, really tight boundaries. And if they stepped over that boundary, bam, there were consequences. We didn't stand in the corner and go, One, two, three. Oh, what is that? All we're doing is proving you can count to 10. Okay, so here's how this goes. This is simple. One, one consequence. You have to discipline. You have to provide that. And you have to stay on it and stay on it. If you've ever watched the, the, what is the guy, Caesar, the dog guy? Okay? Just take everything he does and apply it to parenting. (laughs) That's the best parenting stuff I've ever seen. You have to discipline. One expert writes this. Children need limits on their behavior because they feel better and more secure when they live within a certain structure. As adults, we don't like it when other people tell us uh, tell us we can or what we can or can't do. To children, it doesn't feel that way. Children learn self control by watching how other parents behave. Today, parents put more hours in at the job, and at the end of a long weekend, it's tempting to buy peace with a yes rather than to mar precious family time with conflict. Isn't that true? I can tell you. I used to sit in my office, and I would watch guys at the end of the day, and it was time to go home, and they'd sit there and talk, and talk, and I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to get out of there to get home, and then I discovered they don't want to go home. It's easier in the office. It's easy. We're in the office barking orders. They, hey, listen, I got to... Hey, Austin, are you on the phone? Yes. Okay, I've got us hooked up here with Albany and Dayton. Are you guys there? Yes. I want these things shipped, and I want them on that dock tomorrow, and if not, there'll be a price to pay. Do you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Click. I like that. You can go home and you say, what's that thing in your ear? I don't know what it is. My ear? Who are you to tell me what to do? So number one, it's hard work when you're there. Number two, you're working hard all week. It's hard to go home and battle that way. This is a constant struggle. And on a general basis, the kids are winning. I had a, a, got an email from a junior high math teacher And she said, I've been teaching for more than 20 years, and parenting skills are at an all-time low. Parents are becoming more and more permissive with their kids. As a result, the kids are getting harder and harder to teach. It's discipline. It's not being a tyrant. And here's what happened with us. We had those parameters like this, and as our kids got older, they, they... just got looser and looser. This is going to blow you away. I had two teenage daughters. They were attractive girls, cheerleader girls, students, popular, and we had no curfew in our house. We we had trained them, and we parented in a case by case. So so the girls might come in one day and say, "Hey hey." We're going to go out uh, Friday and get something to eat. Uh, he's going to pick me up around 6. What time do you want us home? And I'd say, 9. And they'd say, 9? Nine? 9 so early. Anything we're going to do after 9, we could do before 9. And I'd say, well, that's a good point. Yeah. 6.30. <laughs> but I'd say, I've seen you eat. It doesn't take you 20 minutes to eat. What do you need? Three hours. We're going to hang out. Hangout's not good. Be home at 9. And, and the next week, they might come in and say, Dad, after the game Friday, the guys are going to shower. We're going to get something to eat and go to a movie. What time do we need to be home? Well, what time's the movie out? Well, it's really late. It's not out until like 1.30. All right, be home by 2. But see, I trust. See how that works? You, you can't go in there in those teenage years and clamp this down without a lot of friction. Here's the wherever we are. The next thing, the fifth thing. Let peer pressure drive your parenting. Parent as though others are going to be watching you and suspicious of you. I was a Coldwell banker, and uh, I don't know how old Sarah was. I, I always lose. I want to say she was 20 months I don't know what normal is here. And she wasn't potty trained. And I was having lunch with a friend, and he had a a girl who was a couple months younger, and she was potty trained. I said, Really? So I went home, and I said to Susan, What are you doing wrong? (laughs) Uh, 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 And she said, What do you mean? And she said, I said, Well, Sarah's 20 months, and she's not potty trained. I says it doesn't matter. That's going to come in the next couple months or whatever the time frame was. And I said, but so-and-so's potty trained. And, and I said, I, I, that doesn't seem right. And she said, just relax. It doesn't matter. I said, something's wrong. And she said, is there anyone in your office that isn't potty trained? <laughs> I said, well... There's one guy in the industrial department we're not really sure about but but that was so big to me. All of a sudden you're parenting and driving your kids. See that pride again? About 20 years ago there was a product. See if you remember this. Infomercial. Your baby can read. Do you remember that? And you had these three-year-olds, and and they're sitting there. And I don't know if you know how that ended. After about a year, they shut that down as a scam. Here's what they discovered. When you gave a three-year-old a copy of Old Man in the Sea, he was more likely to chew on it than read it. Okay, that's what happened. But man, you saw this three-year-old, and you didn't want that three-year-old ahead of yours. Those kids aren't your responsibility. These kids are. And you let that spill over, and it's going to mess you up. Boy, here you go, number six. This will really ruin your kid. Never tell them you're sorry. Boy, don't ever. Even when you're clearly wrong. This is one of those things that happened to me that is almost like a movie. I came home one day... Susan was there, and she said, Sarah has been waiting for two hours. She is so happy. She is so excited. She can't wait to show you her report card. She is down there, and she is so excited, Tom. She is floating. And I walked in, and there she was, and she had this big old smile. I said, how you doing? She said, Dad, look at this. Five A's and a B. And you know where this is going. I said to her, Sarah, how can you get a B? How can you get a... I never got any B's. I never got any A's either. Okay? <laughs> I never got any B's. Sarah, how can this possibly be? And you could literally see this girl go, Pss! And all the steam out of her. And I went back out. And Susan said, that, that's as bad as it can get right there. And I said, well, what should I do? And she said, what do you, what do you think you should do, Bible teacher? <laughs> she didn't say that. She wanted to. And I said, I think I should tell her I'm sorry. And I went down. And she was sitting there, she'd been crying, just tears pouring down her face. And I sat down next to her, I put my arm around her, I said, honey, I am so sorry. And here's what she said, that's okay, Dad, you do it all the time. Now, some of you will stop. When she says, that's okay, some of your kids will say, that's okay, and you'll go, all right. When, when they say, that's okay, you say, no, it's not okay. It's not okay for me to respond like that. Sarah and I went like this most of her life, partly because she was a lot like me. But we remain very close till today. Because I was quick to say, I'm sorry. And she knew I loved her. Here's the seventh thing you can do. Teach your kids to be open-minded, especially regarding spiritual matters. I meet a lot of people who say, and generally not Christians, most of us understand, hey, we need to direct this, but these kids need that training. We'll talk about it in a minute. But I will meet people who say, you know, I, I, I'm trying to raise my kids to be open-minded about spiritual things. Isn't that interesting? You wouldn't do that anywhere else. You don't tell them to be open-minded about trans fats. You don't tell them to be open-minded about math. Right? You don't tell them... Boy, when they, when they come home and go, you know... I teacher graded me hard. What do you mean? Well, two plus two, I put five, and she marked it wrong. You know, well, let's be open-minded about that. No, you you close it down in every area in spiritual things, and I'm going to kind of go maybe a little where it's super sensitive. Men especially, you need to take the lead. You're the leader of the house, and you're the leader of the house in spiritual matters. And that plays itself out, not just at home, but here. One of the challenges, I I presume, I have not talked to Frank about this, so if if I'm out of line, I apologize, but one of the challenges in almost every church, especially we have a lot of young kids, is staffing children's ministries. And one of the reasons that's a problem is the men don't go down there and serve. If you have a kid in children's ministry, I think you ought to serve down there. And the whole dynamic in women, or women, in children's ministry will change if, guys, you're in the classroom. We have a guy at Gilbert. He uh, started was a starting uh, tackle on the USC football team. He is huge. And he walks into that three-year-old room, and he's like a human... Uh, playground they are all over him but when he says stop that room comes to an end when he said let me tell you a story about God here's the eighth thing you want to ruin your kid don't restrain your mouth tell them they're stupid tell them they're lazy tell them you'll never be any good some of you really feel the pain of that one, don't you? You were told that. You had parents or a teacher. You're stupid. I, I remember, it, and, and it, 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 it just how, how much words hurt. But I, I was in kindergarten. Miss Julie was the teacher. And uh, we were coloring. And it was two kids playing in the snow. And they had on their snow suits, and we colored them, and then we passed them in. And, and Miss Truly, I, I had my back to her. We had these tables, and she said, uh, oh, who, whose is this? And she held it up. And I looked around, and it was mine. And I thought, wow. At the age of five, I'm going to get... This is the equivalent of a Nobel Peace Prize. She's going to acknowledge me. And I said, That's mine. And she said, And you are? And I said, Tom. And she said, All right, everybody look up here. Okay? Everybody look up here. See this? See this? See, see how he has a red snowsuit and orange gloves? You never, ever, ever put red and orange together. Now, that was 60 years ago. And I'm over it. I'll put him (laughs) off. Isn't that amazing? Sixty years later. And I've lost track of Miss Julie. I presume she's dead and in hell. uh, (laughs) Chained for all eternity with a kid in a red snowsuit and an orange (laughs) (laughs) you want to ruin your kids you start telling them that you can't hit you can't run you're not smart you're fat you're dumb and you will get a slow dumb fat kid here's number nine When problems come into the marriage, split up because you think it's best for the kids. I deal with 40-year-old men all the time who are still careening from the reality of a divorce that took place when they were teenagers. Here you go. I can tell you what's best for the kids. What's best for the kids is for you to fix this and start acting like a grown-up who loves Jesus. That's what's best for the kid. That's what's best for the kid. That's what's best for you. That's what's best for the church. That's what's best for the culture. That's what's best for the society. When tough times come, and they do in a marriage, life is is tough. Add a second sinner to it, and it's tough. But when it's tough, you don't split up. And don't use the kids as an excuse. Here's the last thing you can do to ruin the kids is hold on to them too tightly. We raised our kids to be independent of us and dependent upon God. I I think especially among some of us who became Christians as adults... When it comes to parenting, we parent out of fear. I I don't know if you know Cody's dad and mom, but Cody's dad and mom have written some of the best stuff there is on parenting, grace-based parenting. Do yourself a favor and get it. Read it on the way to the Paul David Drip Conference. Keep it around you. Not parenting out of fear, but out of grace. Grace. Uh, Haley never liked to go on rides at Disneyland. But we, our, our, our first trip there was awful. She didn't want to go on this. She didn't want to go on that. She didn't want to go on the merry-go-round. There's an Al, or a not an Al, Peter Pan ride where you just sit in this chair, and it just goes through the room. And I tried to get her on it and get her on it, and I couldn't get her on it. Finally, I got her on the way out of the park, and then I couldn't get her off it. Well, we're there one day, and she's decided she's going on Splash Mountain. Wow. So I always did the ride, so I've got her on the ride, and it's the log, and there's the two of us. And she's sitting there, and I'm behind her, and we're going through there, you know, Splash Mountain. We're going through there. zip a doo And we're going through it, and all of a sudden there's this little thing you go down, and you go, ooh, and she goes, well, that wasn't so bad. And I said, I don't think that's it. (laughs) And then you could see way down there some light, daylight, and you hear this, ah, ah, ah. And so now we're getting close. And here's what she's saying. She's saying, hold me tight, Daddy. I remember thinking of this the night that we did her wedding. We had done the ceremony, and we were waiting. It's that music's finishing up. And I remember thinking of that moment when I was looking at her. And, and, And if you're six, saying, hold me tight, Daddy, that's pretty cute. If you're 26, that's not so cute. You want to mess a kid up, hang on to him. Parent out of fear. Let me give some helpful things real quick. I've got about five minutes. N- number one, remember you're the boss. Marsha Moritz, who's the founder of Parent Engagement Network, I have no clue what that is, writes this. It's almost like parents have lost their parenting skills. They want to be their kid's best friend and make sure they're having fun. But what the kid really needs is for parents to be parents. You're the boss. Quit dressing like 'em and acting like them and trying to get down with the same music. You aren't cool and funky. <laughs> okay? You're not their buddy. I remember telling the girls... Guys, I don't like saying this stuff to you. I don't like being no all the time. I'd love to be your friend, but it ain't gonna happen for a long time. You're the parent. And they're gonna fight you and fight you and fight you, but you're the boss. Here's the second thing there's no one size fits all approach. To me, it's a little like schooling. We would get a lot of calls every year: "Are you guys Christian school church, homeschool church, public school church?" Yes. They're your kids. You figure out where they need to go. Uh, I never had a formal devotional times with my kids. I, I I never had a Bible memory time. Now, if you go over to Tyler and Haley's house, uh, I'm, I'm down there one, one night, and all of a sudden, Braden said, okay, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, chapel time. I said, what? <laughs> it's chapel time. And we all sit around, and they get out of YouTube, and we're singing some song, and then, and then Yale teaches a Bible lesson, There's no one-size-fits-all. You have to figure out what is you and what works for you. Here's your third helpful hint. Teach what's truly significant. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes this. The conclusion where all's been heard is fear God and keep his commandments. The passage that we read today from Deuteronomy 6. Write down these commandments I give you today in your hearts. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside of your children. Talk to them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk to them about it from time to time. When you get up in the morning, when you fall into bed at night, here's what what Solomon is saying. He's saying, here's what's really important. When you melt all these other things away, these are great, these are fine. Well, you need to teach them to fear God and keep His commandments and love Him. You need to teach them that God loves them and Jesus came and died for them, and that's the most important thing. And you need to teach them all day long. When you walk, when you sit, when you stand, I, I, I took the boys to a spring training game the other day, and. The whole thing. From the courtesy of driving in a parking lot where I'm impatient to standing in line to saying thank you when the guy gives you your ticket back to talk about the sky and the mountain and how majestic it is that God created these. You're constantly teaching them what's truly significant. And this gets really tough here because you... Can't teach them what you don't know. It's number four. How are you doing? I'm with a guy not long ago, and we're talking about his faith, and he said, I, 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 You can't expect much. I'm a baby Christian. And I'd seen him in a lot of studies. I said, How long have you been a believer? And he said, Seven years. That's not a baby Christian. You, you're not going to live this out in the tough, nitty-gritty grind day in, day out with your kids and your grandkids if you don't know Christ and you aren't growing close to him. I did a men's conference. It's one of the last ones I did. And it's usually Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday morning, the guy running it came in and said, I'm really disappointed with the weekend. And I said, well, I thought the the food was pretty good. And and he said, no, you're teaching. And I said, why? And he said, I thought we'd get stuff on parenting and marriage. And I said, "Here, here you go. I'm a better husband to Sandy when I love God more. You can't aspire in this parenting thing to be this incredible parent if you don't know and grow close to this. Let me give you three more things real quickly. Am I okay, Cody, time-wise? Okay. Number five, your actions can't be separated from your words. They can smell a hypocrite a mile away. Haley one day said to me, Dad, everybody asks me the same question what do you like at home? And I said, what do you tell them? And she said, I tell them that you're at home the same way you are at church. Never had. I get that question a lot. Did your kids have any resentment to the ministry? No. Because they saw the consistency of it, I think, in 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 our life. Just a word of caution, it's number seven or five or whatever number we're on. Parenting can be overemphasized. That was really true. It felt like a few years ago, is that parenting became the, the, the supreme thing. We've probably now swung to the other pendulum, the other side, where it's become too lackadaisical. And, I, and then I'll tell you this. Your kids really need you in, in their corner. It's the last point. I got this email from my daughter, Sarah, uh, I got it eight years ago. At this point, she's 27. She's a wife and a mom. And she said, I love listening to you talk today. I, I can remember one point I was thinking, that's my dad. I'm so proud. But then I heard what you were saying. I thank God for making you, I, this is self serving, I apologize, a wonderful, gifted speaker. Do I hear an amen? Do I, no, I didn't. <laughs> That I've had the privilege to grow up listening to. But I thank him even more for letting me hear you. I am so thankful for having you. This is my 27-year-old. As my cheerleader, my coach, my fan, and most of all, my dad. Let me leave you with a big bullet. This parenting is a difficult job. And there will be times when you wonder whether it's true or not, but let me tell you something, it's really worth it. It really is a tough job, but it's worth it. And by God's grace, as we do in everything else, we approach it. It's that great time in our uh, worship service, where we really come to the cross in communion. Let me pray as we transition to Cody and to Steve. Father, thank you for this truth. It's so practical. faces so many of us. Challenges that stretch us. But thank you for the grace and mercy you give us to be the moms and dads, you grandparents, that you've called us to be. Father, take these things... And help us see that this is a task, a duty, a responsibility you've given us. Let us do it to your honor and your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.